Welcome to the Gimme Golf Podcast, powered by MyrtleBeachGolfTrips.com. I'm your host, Meredith Kirk. Today on episode 33, we have golf course architect Craig Schreiner on the show. Craig is leading the Greens and Bunker renovation at Pine Lakes Country Club, and we are really excited to talk to him about this project. at Pine Lakes Country Club at History Hall with golf course architect Craig Schreiner and golf writer Chris King. Gentlemen, thank you for joining the podcast today. So great to have you on. It's a pleasure to be here as always. Yeah, it's uh, a thrill. Okay, well, Mr. Schreiner. Yes, Craig. Craig, thank you. So Craig, I I saw you walk in the room and I have to say, you, you look super cool. Like I'm looking at your shirt right now. You've got the palm trees, the pineapples, and of course, the Pine Lakes Country Club logo, the cool glasses, and you're super, super tan, but you've just been telling us you've been out on the course working on all these bunker renovations and the putting greens, and you've probably spent a lot of time in the sun here at Pine Lakes. So I wanna kind of dive into what's going on here at Pine Lakes. We're going through renovations. Uh, we're regrassing. The greens were rebuilt. Uh, I shaped them, I think about eight years ago. And part of that little document there shows how we recuperated all the lost space. In time, greens always shrink a little bit. So they had lost almost 40% of their original size. So part of this document here was to research, show where the original greens outlines were. So when we rebuilt the greens to modern standards, we put them back. Because the goal was to restore this course, not change it and make it something different, but to really put back what was here. The first golf course in Myrtle Beach, designed by Robert White, past president, first president of the uh, PGA of America and a charter member of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, which I'm a member as well. So the research starts with documentation and we're in this great room where we took a lot of time early on to dig up a lot of the things that uh, had to do with the golf course. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, we found lots of original drawings, which are essential. What's rolled up there are the original 18 holes plus Robert White in 1950 designed set, uh, nine more for a 27-hole complex here because things Myrtle Beach was starting to open up in mm -hmm. the 50s. It was here at 27. This building is on the National Register of Historic Places. And uh, we also had to deal with that group when we got involved with the golf course. They didn't direct me in any way. They relied on my expertise for the golf course because they, they, they know a lot about buildings, but they didn't know anything about golf courses, which was great when work with preservation societies, they can get a little too detailed, you know? Right. And uh, they gave us the free reign, but we still wanted to have research in that area. So we, hit, we found original drawings, not all of them, but several, enough that I could capture the components of the Greens, Robert White's style, and he had things he called peaks. And they're usually left and right, back, rear of greens, for definition, just to give the greens a little, like owl's ears, the two mm -hmm. chimneys on this great building. Well, his greens always had little peaks. So we, we kind of followed up on that one. We renovated when I shaped the golf, reshaped the golf course and actually added a few more in some different spots. But now, they're regrassing to a different grass. They decided to go with Sunday Bermuda, a little finer, really beautiful turf. And at the same time, they said, Greg, you want to do the bunkers? And I said, absolutely, because when we did the original restoration, we didn't touch the bunkers because we left them alone for, for the most part. But that 
didn't play really well with golfers because we kept the original beach sand. They didn't even incorporate new bunker sand here. They just used the naturally indigenous sand. Wow. But it doesn't drain as well. And it tends to Is walk. it more dense? Yes, and it's finer. And so it just doesn't percolate water better. And the golfers and the superintendent, they get tired of kind of, you know, playing with that mess. So uh, Max Morgan called me and said, you want to do the bunkers? And I said, absolutely. I've got a big project in two weeks. I had a month to do this, but I, I made time for this and because uh, I was so excited. Because now we can build the bunkers to modern standards and really give a great playing experience for the golfers and then make it a little more, uh, actually a lot more economical to take care of it. But most importantly, as a player, bunkers will be very consistent. Okay, and then what about the greens? So if you're expanding the greens, the, the bunkers are going to be more player friendly. When golfers come out here, can they expect to play better, shoot a little bit lower scores? I mean, how will that affect them? You know, I want to tell you something that I don't, that I, I've been at this 34 years now, and when I sampled this particular bunker sand up at Crow's Creek, I think, Crow's Nest, I think it's up the road a ways, it is the most forgiving sand I've ever hit out of. So you can actually go a little too fat, and the club kind of bounces off of it. It doesn't way down and the club continues to speed through and you don't even if you're decelerating you actually can get the ball out it's actually a very playable sand because it it seems to keep a little firmer underneath it's like hitting off fairway uh, wood off of zoysia grass it's very resilient it's thick is it know? like if you're skiing it's like the powder yeah it's, it's the best <laughs> yeah. and so it's very forgiving uh, but that's the good news. The bad news is the greens are going to get faster. <laughs> oh, but see, I love that. I so, love fast greens. So, so you know, the, awesome. uh, the good news, but we, the greens are shaped, when I shape them, we shape them to what we'll call modern slopes because they can get to 12 and 13 on the stimp if they want, and 90% of these greens will be pinnable. But there's still movement in them, but you won't watch it roll off the greens. So they have been tweaked for, you know, really modern speeds. Uh, to be fair to the golfers too. So now, That's good. I'm sorry, Meredith. When you talk about 90% of the greens being pinnable after the work is done, to give people who are listening and have played the course before an idea, how what percentage of that green would you say was pinnable prior to to this work? 60. Oh my! So it's a yeah. it's a considerable. And for the Ryder Cup matches at Oak Hill, I was commissioned to restore the greens to original size, old Donald Ross Golf Course in Oak Hill, uh, in Rochester, New York. And this really blew these folks away, because when I researched the old drawings as to what they had now, uh, they had lost almost 40% of the green space at Oak Hill, 40%. Loved their oak trees, Oak Hill. But I said, yeah, you, the price of your oak trees is your greens are shrinking because there's no sunlight. Well, they didn't really want to hear that. They wanted to get the green. We got the greens restored back to size. But in order to keep them there, they had to start taking some trees out. And they did. God bless them. They did. Just wow. Oakmont set the tone when they came in and cut them just like your haircut, you know. <laughs> and now you can't find a tree in Oak Hill, uh, at Oakmont. But then Oak Hill said, well, if Oakmont's doing that, then it's okay for us to remove some of these trees. And they did. And so now... Uh, same thing happened here. They were they were really small. If you look at that drawing, the little white in the middle there is what the green was when I got, and then in the darker green, that's what how much they had lost on the 18th green. So that was 
almost 40% of the green. That's amazing. How long does this process take and when can golfers get back out there and try these new greens? I think they're going to be, they're on a fast track. So I'd say nine to 10 weeks total and we're already two weeks into it. So clock's running and uh, uh, the Founders Group International has done this before. They have good agronomists, good head guys that know what they're doing. So they did it at Myrtlewood and so now they've got that experience under their belt. They're ready to go here. Alan Jarvis, one of the best superintendents on the strand is here and he grew in this restoration years ago and he's worth his weight in gold uh, he's already taking initiative around the perimeters of the greens fine-tuning them top dressing them a little more so when we do when we restore our runoff areas which white had a lot of mm-hmm. uh, they're gonna be smooth and pristine and you know really quick you know so he's top dressing them now more heavily than you would if under, under normal playing conditions right. if there were golfers out there. So he's super grooming this place, getting it ready. So uh, I'm really excited that our team is very coherent and very cohesive, and we're all playing to the same piece of sheet music right now. How, well, how are the changes you're talking about going to change the golf course for players? You talked about the runoff areas. I was out there looking a little earlier today at 9, particularly in the back. I mean, it, that's going to be a different... It's going to be a different course or a different hole. Yeah, it's going to, it'll actually, there's going to be a little less bunkering, a little less sand. Uh, Same amount of bunkers, maybe one more, but smaller. A little more old style, back down to a flatter sand. They still have bottoms in them, you know, nice contour to them. It's not flat sand, like we said. But they'll be a little bit smaller with more grass faces. On a couple of the deep bunkers out there, some of these bunkers are 12 feet deep. Uh, I'm going to have a little more grass face and a little lip so that it may be if you hit short on number one or something, a starting hole. Uh, I want to speed play up a little bit on the first hole rather than having them in a 12-foot bunker. If they hit a little bit to the right, they may be on the new Zoysia face. Oh, be able Chris, to that's great for you. And, you know, get up and down, <laughs> but if you pull it a little bit left and everything, you'll be in the bunker. So we're trying to make some decisions to make it a little more playable in that respect. So a little less sand area, but they're still very strategically located. And, uh, and then we're going to probably put two new tees out here because three and 18 are proving a little too strong. So we're going we're gonna to move everybody up a set. New forward set of tees on three and 18, and then everybody gets to move up, especially if, if it's really windy. And then you'll find more people getting to the top of the hill at 18, top of the hill over on three. We made a decision when we restored it that we changed it to par 70. We took it and reduced it to a 70, took two strokes off, but had added two beautifully brutal, strong par fours. And uh, I like that. I personally love a 70 because it's easier to break 80, but it gives you the opportunity to take some old weak fives and turn them into really serious mm-hmm. par fours. So three and 18 are proved to be that. Well, there, there are several really strong par fours. Yes, yeah. 13 and 14 among them as well. When you would, when you talk about the bunkers and kind of restoring them a little bit, you were, you talked about building them to to modern standards, but also bringing them back to maybe a little bit more of what people would have experienced when when the course opened or as White designed it. What, can you can you explain kind of the difference there? It's going to be modern, but but also a bit of an old school type feel. What was here a month ago was were bunkers that had been edged for years. Every time you edge a bunker, you cut into the new grass, it keeps getting bigger and higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and closer to the green. 
and subsequently when you get a thunderstorm that washes down so you start to create this this problem we're bringing the faces down we're going to be putting a zoysia turf on them which is allowed to get a little longer a little more gray eyebrow on them a little more mustache not finely tuned so balls will hold up in it and it gives it a better texture uh, a little more durable and it doesn't have to be mowed all the time you kind of let it gruff if you hit a ball into it, you can still find it. It won't bury. It's not like Bermuda that gets like that and the ball disappears on you in a Bermuda rough or something. So it'll have an older looking, a wispier face. That's one of the goals we were after. The bunkers will have drains for the first time. None of the bunkers out here had drains because this is the, I think we're on the tertiary sand dunes. Uh, St. Andrews were primary sand dunes formed by the ocean. Primary sand dunes are the Dunes Club, mm -hmm. uh, Ocean Boulevard. Secondary dunes would be just the other side of Business 17, Kings Highway. This is tertiary sand dunes. In other words, these are a little more established, but they're extremely well-drained, deep sand. So they, did, they didn't even require drains. We're putting drains in these new ones and drainage chambers so that when the new six inches of sand is put on top of that, if we get a brutal thunderstorm, those bunkers will perk perfectly, they, the washers will be minimal, if anything, be ready to play as soon as the rain stops. So they'll drain as good as you can find anywhere. That's a big upgrade from what they had here. So the natural sands are beautiful, they're great, but they just don't drain as well because right. they're finer. So we're dealing with a little coarser material, and again, this is a BV Hendrix is the name of this premium bunker sand, comes from just over the border in North Carolina, and it's awesome stuff. And it's you know, in 30 years, 30 some years doing this business, it's one of the best sands I've ever found for, for bunkers. So that'll be the really good upgrade with regard to these hazards. The nice thing is like, you've ever heard of walk-in basements in houses when you buy them? And you don't have them down here because we live in the low country. These are gonna have walk-in bunkers. So that as you walk into the front, each bunker is gonna have a real low profile on the, on the playing side as you look at it and they'll be easy to walk in and out of. You won't be crawling down in them like a lot of people think. People can stumble, golfers are getting older. Last conversation I had with Alice Dye, who was also one of the members of our society uh, before she passed, was that she, she, she admitted to our society, the American society at one of our meetings, our last meeting at Jupiter Hills when Pete was still alive and Alice was still alive, obviously. She looked at Pete and she said, Christ, what were we thinking when we made all these bunkers so hard? Because now they're in their 80s, you know, and, and everybody, all of our society members are looking at each other going, yeah, it's about time, we agree to where they are. And she said, we need to soften these bunkers up. We need to, we, we can't even walk in and out of our own bunker. So when I talked to Alice about a job I'm gonna be doing down at one of her and Pete's courses in, in John's Island down at Vero Beach, I got her blessing on it because I'm, I'm renovating that one too but I'm not going to change it or anything as far as the dye's name is concerned but we're doing a really good job there but she said make sure those bunkers are walkable that you can get in and out of them and we're doing the same thing here so you know older members or older people they'll be easier to get in and out of and then I'm putting noses and capes on the big deep ones this is different but it's a little bit of the older style so that if you're in the middle of one of those big bunkers you don't have to rake your way all the way out and then go all the way around and up to the top of the green you still can't see we're going to have a feature in each one of those big ones that you can actually walk out of play up it kind of comes into the middle and turns or twists each one like we saw on nine like you saw exactly that's just so you can play your shot rake and then walk up easily with even bad knees you know and get up to the green 
So you're going to see that on the deepest bunkers. So, so doesn't that encapsulate how golf course design has changed? Like it's designing courses that are easier now, right? Oh, yeah. I've always been a proponent of playable golf courses and also affordable to build. I got in an argument with Pete Dye in Columbus when, uh, we, when we had our annual meeting in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Jack was hosting us at Mirrorfield. It was a great tournament. I mean, there's some great golf courses down there. A couple of guys went up to Firestone. I had done work on Firestone South, renovated it, and after I renovated all the greens, Tiger Woods won there seven times. <laughs> yeah. At least go. somebody like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and all the top five players in the world won there as well. Uh, at any rate, because we made them ready for these high speeds today. See, we toned the greens down. Well, at any rate, we, we were having our meetings, and I said to Pete, I said, Pete, these courses are too hard. And he, he's up at the podium, one of our distinguished you know, senior panelists. And I was just saying, I, I, Pete, we're just making them too hard. And, you know, Golf Digest gets into it, and Best New Golf Course it means Best New doesn't mean it has to be the hardest. I mean, everybody thinks that. It doesn't. That doesn't help our game. So he said, if you make them too easy, you'll starve, you know, and everybody kind of laughed. But God love Alice, before she passed, she said, we made these too hard. <laughs> and so golf today needs to be a lot friendlier. And I think that this is going to have 26, maybe 27 bunkers and half the area of most uh, golf courses in the, in the, in the, on the Grand Strand in terms of the area of sand. And I'll challenge you to any one of them that nobody's going to be shooting subpar here because we've got lots of movement. There's other things you can do other than sand bunkers. You can have steep runoff areas or some stuff, collection areas that make it a little more challenging. So we want you to find your ball and hit it again. We don't want to put you in a position where you're trying to hit shots out of hazards that are not even the best players can hit. It's no fun. Well, I love how passionate so you are. I mean, you're definitely an artist. I love the adjectives that you use uh, to describe all these changes. You visually have taken me on a journey. I can actually see all these changes. So I'm so excited about these renovations. But I'm so curious about your history as a golf course architect. I mean, just briefly tell me a little bit about how you got involved because I'm totally digging your vibe. <laughs> well, you know, I was very small as a kid. And uh, I tried to carry bags, golf bags, at Fairlawn Country Club in Akron, Ohio. And the Burton bags that they were using, the old leather Burton bags from Georgia, even with all the straps all the way up, they would drag when I went down hills. And you don't drag all leather bags, etc. But they loved it. And they said, we need a locker room attendant assistant that can shine shoes at the club. And uh, I said, Oh, I can do that. I was always there every morning, and so they hooked me up in the club. So I started, I, I couldn't caddy because I was too small, but I could shine shoes. So I'm working in the locker room with this wonderful old son of, a, of slaves, Jesse Gordon from Beaufort, South Carolina. Now, this is in Akron, Ohio. And this was the greatest man I ever met in my life. And he immigrated up from South Carolina to go north actually for safety. I mean, it was still not fun to be down in the South yeah. if you were black. But he was a great man. I mean, he taught me how to shine shoes, but he had the greatest work ethic. Well, at this club, Eddie Elias is a member. Eddie Elias was one of the founding guys who started sports representation, sports agents. Mm -hmm. McCormick was from that area, and so Eddie Elias developed a talent agency 
And I mean, Ken Venturi, uh, Costas, um, uh, who else? Uh, uh, Marla Thomas, Bobby Rahal, you know, all these people, Chichi Rodriguez, all these people were coming in and out of Akron, Ohio. Well, one of the members there was a big landscape contractor. And he said, when you get to be 16 and you can drive Craig, come work with me. I said, great. Next thing I know, I get a job with him. And what are we doing? We're grassing a golf course called the Sharon's Club in, in Sharon, Ohio. It's a men's golf club developed by two uh, 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 industrialists from Akron, Ohio. And golf courses? Who designs golf courses? I'm thinking, this is wild. You know. Next thing you know, uh, I'm meeting an architect and because uh, he happened to be there that day. And all of a sudden I thought, wow, what a what a great profession. So caddy for briefly, shining shoes. And then he said, well, you need a degree in landscape architecture. So I went to Oregon State and got my degree in landscape architecture. Got back, contacted golf course architects. They said, we're not hiring, we're not hiring, we're not hiring. Uh, contacted a guy named Dr. Michael Hurdson, and he was in Columbus, Ohio, golf course architect. He said, if you're really interested and you want to become a golf course architect, you need construction experience, you need agronomic experience. So I went to Ohio State, turf grass degree at Ohio State. Uh, played golf there. Uh, this was in a, what we call a satellite uh, campus, two-year campus. I already had a bachelor's, so now I needed my associate. So I got a degree in turf grass science. I got two scholarships, one from the American Society, uh, Golf Course Superintendents Association and uh, Ohio Turf Foundation. When I got out of that, Got that all finished, got registered as a landscape architect. Then I went to work for the premier golf course builder in the world, Wadsworth Golf Construction. And they gave me my choice of projects. And I chose Valhalla in Louisville, Kentucky. It was just being built. Nick, Nicholas Signature Golf Course, you know, my hero, Buckeye, Jack Nicholas, you know, someone I thought I'd never meet. You know, next thing you know, I'm building these big stone walls on the greens around at Valhalla and, and watching Nicholas come out. Uh, once I got the construction experience with a premier builder, then I went to work for other golf course architects as apprentices. And I worked with a guy named Don Seacrest in Kansas City for a couple of years. I worked as Herdson's design coordinator in Columbus for a couple of years, and then I opened up my own office. Now, here's where it gets interesting. I had an offer from Jack Nicholas to go to work for him as a senior designer. Wow. And that doesn't happen often, as a senior designer, not don't work up. And I turned him down because while I was interviewing for other people, and I mean, I had an interview with Tom Watson, I had an interview with other people and other architects, I thought, you know, I need some money. So I actually applied for a job uh, for a golf course restoration in Cleveland, Ohio called Manikiki. It was a Donald Ross golf course. And I got the job as myself, as Craig Schreiner, not working for someone else. And then I just thought, you know, why not keep going on my own, you know, because ultimately that's where I wanted to be. And at uh, Pebble Beach, when I was inducted into the society with Nicholas, I just sent him a letter and said, thanks, but I'm not gonna take the offer. And you know what he told me? He said, keep in touch. And uh, he just, he, he wanted me to work with him uh, as well because I had the ideal background. Mm -hmm. Someone told me what to do and I went and did it. And I loved every minute of it, you know, from the maintenance to the, you know, uh, to the construction, to you name it, playing experience, that whole thing. And so it's, you know, it's my life, you know, I mean, and 
being in here in this room and having the opportunity to talk to you, I mean, Sports Illustrated was conceived here, <laughs> maybe amazing. in this very room. Right, exactly. We could be in the same spot. And you know what I wanted them to do? I wanted them to do the swimsuit thing in one of these big bunkers. So I couldn't, for the 50th, and I couldn't convince him to do it. <laughs> That's actually a great idea. Maybe you can tell him to do it for the 75th. All right, let's get the girls, let's, get, let's have it down here. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, I'll, I'll send a little uh, memo. Well, you, we, maybe you, we could use you, you know what I mean? <laughs> Not me. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I'm picturing you in a speedo. Let's see. <laughs> Nobody wants that, Craig. <laughs> so uh, I know I deviated a lot there, but it started shining shoes at a at a really great country club that had real serious golf connections. And uh, my brother uh, Danny, who worked for ESPN for a lot of years in bowling uh, for a while, but he was a great golfer. And uh, he was the tournament host for the Golf Channel for its first five years. He worked with Mark Lytle, you know, on camera. And then he lost his central vision mm. just when the Golf Channel was beginning to explode, you know, after, in their sixth, seventh year. And he lost his central vision with Stargardt's, a hereditary disease, and he couldn't follow the ball on the monitor. And it's a terrible story. Greatest guy you ever want to meet. First year, he's a member at Firestone Country Club. He wins the men's championship that's how that's what kind of a golfer he was so uh, you know the uh, this course though has got great lineage it's so, this is I mean this is so exciting and I know that we have kind of uh, taken up your time here because you were out actually what working what were you doing today what? today I was working on building the feature with some sandbags on the, the the Cape feature on number five now the reason that that's key is because the back nine is still original golf holes. You'll see the original holes on this particular plan. I brought it just so you could take a look at it. Those are still original holes. So 10 through 18 are all pretty much what was there. And so we're using it to kind of as a prototype for four and five are newer holes. Mm -hmm. Actually, the whole back side pretty much, or front side is basically newer holes. So this, thing, this golf course has gone through several transformations. But I'm trying to make that nine look a lot like this one and play a lot like it. And I think it does. But now with the bunkers, we're going to have a cool cohesiveness all the way through it now as far as the, the real architectural elements, the bunkers mm -hmm. with our little peaks you know and such that he had on his plan so my goal now with this very first feature is to show Steve okay here's this is our prototype we're going to emulate this on probably half the bunkers on the golf course so that there's continuity from the front nine to the back nine and when someone comes here to experience it it's my hope they're not going to know which were original and which weren't and the bunkers are where you really make that right. signature the greens, I know, are going to have, they'll, they'll be beautiful, you know, because they have been uh, sh shaped and, uh, and at slopes that they can speed these greens up as much as they want and do it. But the bunkers have really been the missing link here, and that's why I was so up in, you know, up in the air when they said, you, you want to do the bunkers? I said, yes. are you kidding? You get to do both. I literally pulled my equipment from Debadu, where I just did a <laughs> practice area, and dropped, and stopped it right here. I started working that day here. I worked two days before I even had a contract. That's how, that's how excited I was to get on this golf course. And I live across from the third green. So, oh, you know, I mean, I, I love this place so much that we, we located here. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you feel like that the bunker work will kind of complete the process that you started in 0809? Yep. Is that, is that fair? Absolutely, yeah. When you, um, you had talked about this being a course that you would restore as opposed to renovation, as an architect, how do you, when you're making recommendations for, for people about work, how do you 
decide the difference between this is a restoration project and we need to, to renovate the project. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, because if you take a look at his drawings for his greens, and the greens are the heart of every hole. They're like my wife's eyes. It starts there. Oh, you're such a romantic. Gets, I love creatures. I may, I may try that tonight. And it just gets better from there out, you know, if you know what I mean. But at any rate, the greens are the soul. They're the heart of every golf hole. And his typically had two foot of fall from the front to the back. It's even spelled out on a couple of his trunks. So most of his greens do this. Now, in the 50s and 60s and 70s with the newer architects and Ross, we started seeing greens do a little more like this and water going off to the side, one over here, maybe a little runoff in the back, a little runoff. But his are all kind of like this, and I've kept that to a degree. Even with the newer ones, I have water going off a little on the sides, but they, for the most part, these greens look at you. That's one of the elements that I kept as far as the original architecture because we didn't you know, really change much of that. We just softened the slopes so that higher stimp meter readings would be able to pin 90% of the green space because, you know, what's the use of having a green if you can't use it at a, at a tournament speed? So uh, that'll be the case, but now the bunkers were the missing link, and uh, so this will add the cohesion that we really need. So the bunkers uh, were actually not over-articulated, but we are putting some noses on them just so walking out can be a lot easier and raking the bunkers will be a little bit uh, a little bit more a little more accommodating to the golfer so they don't have to rake their way all the way out and then go all the way around speed of play issues like that that that's right. that's kind of what we're trying to do but if we do this right there's enough continuity from beginning to end that the experience will be real uh, congruous and then we may introduce a little bit of a wispy I call it a mole. You know, sometimes you got one on your nose. <laughs> when they're in the right spot, they're perfect. You know what I mean? They really add, like, the, the, some of the people from India, where they always have that little beauty. I forget what they call that little dot that they put on their face. And East Indian women are in It's fabulous. Well, at any rate, we're going to maybe go with one little wispy grasp on one or two of those little knuckles in the bunkers now and kind of do a couple on the front, a couple on the back. It's the muley box that's out there. Kind of give each little feature a little, a little beauty mark. Hey, that's what I was. That's the word I call. I call them all beauty mark. We're going to add that to, to the bunkering too, but not so much that you hit a ball in it and lose it. Right. You know, we want to keep the playing experience friendly and that. But so just one small one that they can keep. It'll grow to about that height, but just a little something, you know, to right. to add a little something different to it you know that's what we're going to plan to do here well the changes are so exciting because we saw the difference at Myrtlewood when Dan Schlegel came and and worked on that course so many people that I talk to because I'm at Myrtlewood all the time mm -hmm. you know I teach out there a lot they love the course they love the changes it was such a positive thing for Myrtlewood um, you know having those renovations and I'm really excited now for all the people the golfers coming here to Myrtle Beach to play golf because now they need to replay Pine Lakes yeah. after this. It's going to be a different course, and the way you've described it, I mean, you guys, don't you feel it? Like, the energy is so good. I mean, I am so excited to play this course. I mean, nine weeks, there's a countdown now mm -hmm. for, for the golfers coming here. It'll be a lot of fun, and, uh, uh, and, and it'll be friendlier. When we did Grand Dunes, the Members Club, I worked with Nick Price there, PGA Hall of Famer. What a great guy. He was adamant about not making this golf course too hard. He loved big greens, big wide landing areas, even though he's a really good, you know, with the driver. 
but he wanted a friendly golf course as well. And but there, the more modern greens are a little bit bigger, and there's runoff areas. But the greens are big enough that if you, even if there's a runoff off the back of uh, number two or something, there's a big enough green that you can work the shot into it. I mean, he sh- opening day he shoots 66 from the tips, <laughs> and he missed three putts less than four feet. It should have been a 63. Wow. So it was testimony to the fact that we want playable golf courses. Absolutely. So that's what I think is going to be more obvious here, especially to the members, the people that know this golf course, that have been in all these really deep flower bunkers. They're going to notice right off the bat it's easier to get in and out. And there's, it's, it's a una via, another little Spanish in there. It's one way so that you can hit your way in, rake, and walk up the nose to the butt, and you don't have to walk back. You're not missing any. You're going forward the whole time. Muy bien. <laughs> When you talk about the stuff like walking in, the, the, the reduced raking and stuff that people will, will have to do, as an architect, can you talk about that, how much that will speed play, particularly at a place like this, over the course of an entire day? When you have, say, 100 people coming through in the morning. I mean, it seems to me that that's something that a lot of people, that if you're playing the course, you'll never know the difference, but you'll get to the end of it and go, hey, we got through in four hours and 10 minutes on a full day. Is that, am I? Well, you know, it's. It boils down to time and economics. Golf can't function if it's not economically feasible to keep the golf courses running. And a quick round of golf is a great round of golf, you know, to me. I mean, I've got other things I'd like to do. I love golf, but there's other things I like to do, and I'm not interested in five-and-a-half-hour rounds at all. I'm interested in three hours 20, you know, on a long round. Uh, And so speed of play, the, the place where it gets penalized the most is in large bunkers. I was brought in up at Long Bay to diminish the size of those big hazards, but still not lose the, you know, kind of the visual texture of that, because that's part of the signature. Same thing down at Debadoo. Big waste features, et cetera, and so on. And we're doing the same thing. But all I'm trying to do now is shrink them a little bit, keep them visual in the key areas, just so that there's less chance to get in them, easier to rake through them, and to get in and out of them. And uh, I've just never been an advocate of penalizing bad shots. I'd rather you find it, hit it again, you know, but some of the sand on some of these golf courses is so, you're penalizing bad shots and now you're getting, you know, frustrated customers, people that don't want to come back. We already have short attention spans. Our, the kids have even less. So, you know, we need to make, uh, make it a little more forgiving. And I think that uh, it was great to hear Alice die say, we got to be smart about where we put these bunkers. So you don't need a lot of bunkers to make a very, a really good golf course. You just need strategically placed sand. Speaking of Alice, if we could revisit something that you had discussed a little earlier, what's it like to argue with Pete Dye? It's fun. Not many people do it, but I, I wasn't afraid to. And uh, because I understood gravity. You know what I learned at the Baltimore Country Club at Five Farms in Maryland when I did my turf grass internship, my required internship for my degree in, at Ohio State, was that the biggest waste of time in the world and one of the greatest punishments is to send your labor out to restore sand faces on bunkers that washed out during a thunderstorm in 85 degree heat with 80% humidity. Because you will take the, 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 the work spirit out of any laborer <laughs> fast, especially a guy who's aspiring golf course architect. I learned that gravity is the one force that none of us in this room can resist. I mean, my eyes are getting 
you know, get smaller and smaller. I got to work harder and harder to keep gravity from going over my belt. You know, <laughs> uh, the we, ball, should lay, we should lay flat all the, the time. Ball, yeah, the ball doesn't go as far. You know, all that. It, it's, it's all gravity. Well, guess what? Gravity has an impact on a golf course every single day, and so re reworking the sand faces is is just actually playing into Mother Nature's hands. So, adequately placed bunkers are more important than a lot of bunkers. And a golf hole, a par four, only needs two bunkers to be strategic. You know, if the green is designed in a way and bunkered here, it should be leveraged back to where the fairway hazard is. Wherever that fairway hazard is, that's your beacon. You actually want to hit the ball. If it's designed under strategic architecture, you want to hit as close to that severe hazard as possible to get the best angled into the green. So if there's a right side bunker in a fairway, that should mean that the left side of the green is protected, forcing you to be over here more, skirting the hazard to get the reward, the easier second shot in, right? Right. So it's all about fulcrum and leverage. That's why everything starts at the green and goes backwards, okay? Part threes are the one uh, variance to that norm because if you've got an elevated tee in it, you can surround a par three with sand, you know, if, the, if it's short enough. Right. Seventh at Pebble Beach. Something like that. You know, you got the ocean behind, wind, and then bunkers in front. 105, 107 yards, shortest hole on tour. Why would I mention that hole? Because it was my first hole in one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a little self-serving. But the point of it is, is that uh, when you have, what, 30, ultimately, you, you need 30 to 36 bunkers on a golf course to make a, if they're strategically designed, that's right. all you really need. Well, I love what you said. It's about the greens to the tee, not the tee to the greens. And I think, you know, for our listeners, that's just huge, that statement, because oftentimes, you know, if you're going to a new course, you haven't played it, and you're, you know, looking at the course layout, what do we do? We kind of start at the tee and say, okay, if I hit driver here, place it here. But you're saying it's really opposite. Do you think you could play better golf going backwards like that? You have to. That's what Hogan taught us. You know, where's the pin today? And if the caddy says it's 105, 106, he'd look at the caddy and say, which is it, 105 or 106? It's, it's all about where is the fight because, again, if golf course is designed properly, you're playing with gravity, law of physics. The ball, you hit it through the air, but you play it on the ground. You want to be a great golfer? Learn how to putt. Don't even think about a driver. Putt. 45%. Putt. <laughs> and what's putting? Gravity. You've got to see where it's going. I always tell a lot of people, you want to know the secret? I would sit and watch Firestone on the South with my friends, and I could tell them every single pin placement sitting in the chair exactly where that ball was going to break. Because I designed them, and I finished graded every single one of them myself. I finished grade all my greens. Mm -hmm. But I know where the water's going off. I know, as a designer, I know. So whatever quadrant that pin is in, I can tell you just from memory as to where the water's, well, that's gravity. Wherever the water's going off, well, that's where the ball goes. So, Is that how you read greens that maybe you haven't designed when you're playing? Absolutely. You just, do you envision water just flowing over it? When you walk up to a green, you just look for the subtle depressions. You, you First you get the picture at 
you know, out in the fairway, and you can see the main features. And then as you walk up, you start to look where the, you know, where's the water going off the edges. And if you've ever got any question in your mind as to, boy, is that on the ridge or where is it? You've already at least got a 50-50 chance. If you know that that's where, you know, it's headed, they always say on these mountain courses, you know, where's the river or where's the, you know, the announcers are always talking about that, you know, the ball tends to go this way. I just say look at the horizon of the green. You know, and, and that should tell you right there as you walk up and look around where, where the water's going off. That's generally where the ball's going to be going. That's great advice. Mm -hmm. And when we do a green, we'll do three greens inside a green. That's what Donald Ross taught us. What Ross brought from St. Andrews was a more agronomical and a more Scottish prudent approach to the design. Ross's greens, at least 6,000 to 8,000 square feet. They were big. And he always had three greens inside a green where the water could go off front right, front left, sometimes a little false front in the front. And then if the hole was big enough, you could run a little something off the back if the green was deep enough. So you could hit a shot into the front and feed mm -hmm. it back. You'd never tried to hit it to the back. You know, you'd be, you'd be you know, recovering all day right. long coming back. So, uh, so at any rate, the, the, the other great designers also, you know, adopted that philosophy. And that's the philosophy that I chose. So three greens inside a green is the best way to go. So all you got to do is look for the perimeter. So when you go out today, or if you start looking at things, just look where the, where's the water going? If you really want to know, study the golf course right after a thunderstorm. I mean, you can just go watch, see for yourself where the water's running if you really want to know, uh, you know, where the subtleties are. And there's a lot of other architects that don't have that philosophy. They just say, just once you're on the putting surface, some guys think it should be very flat, very mundane, because they're bad putters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what's going to happen every time I play a course, and it's a really flat putting green. I'm going to say, oh, the guy who designed this, he's they're a the, bad putter. That's right. They're the hardest <laughs> to read, though. They really are. You know, and when you get to great courses like Cypress, uh, you know, and some of those others where there are some great, what I'll call the golden era of golf course architecture, where they're big, beautiful rolling greens. You'll see that there's, you know, these three pinning areas inside the pinning areas. Mackenzie was nuts about huge bunker or greens with lots of rolls. So was Tillinghouse. You know, he was not afraid to really make it move and make it happen. Um, the players that, that, uh, that I like, uh, that are in the design business. Cor Crenshaw, great putter. He's always had subtle greens, nothing overdone or overbaked, and he's one of the best putters there ever was. Uh, and I'm glad that you know that's the case. I get a little torn, a little kind of mixed emotion sometimes on some courses where the greens are too, it gets a little guessing, but I actually think those are easier because the breaks are too obvious. You know where they're breaking. On mine, I want you to be, you know. Yeah, scratching your head. <laughs> if you're on the perimeters and you know where the water's going off, you're safe. But then it's the hog backs. It's those break points in the green where it's hard to determine which way is it going. That's the subtlety I love. If you want to score on one of my golf courses, always be below the hole. Because if you're below the hole, based on gravity, you're, the ball is gravitated to that position. And from that point, it's usually a straight-in putt from where I am. Oh, we just got a golf tip for That's the right. Country Club. That's right. <laughs> I love That's exactly. it. That's exactly. Or the Members Club or, you know, any other. Any of your other courses. Because the, the ball will gravitate to a natural resting area. And if you happen to be inside one of those three or four greens inside the green and you're below, there's a chance that, you, well, Woods had the most amazing ability to do that. 
on 16, when he hits his third shot in, that's the monster. At, at, I'm watching Patrick, who's right there with him, has a stroke lead. Patrick gets too aggressive on his third shot into the green, and he goes over. Worst mistake you could have made at the front right pin placement right in front of the water. That green sits right on the water at the woods, hits it below the hole in that pin placement. Patrick's got a two-shot lead. He bogeys, Tiger birdies. Two-shot swing. We're even going into 17th. He wins his seventh at the, because he put it below the hole. And, and Patrick got too aggressive, and then he couldn't recover from there. And I was telling my friends, I said, watch this, because this is what's going to happen right now. And it happened. I, I, it seemed like I was the smartest guy in the room that day for, for a couple of minutes. So how gratifying is that? It's, there's nothing better. Nothing better. Uh, I did some uh, uh, work for Alan Terrell down at the Dustin's mm -hmm. Golf Foundation. We, we built a new tee and a target green at 100 yards from his new building. And I did this uh, target green exactly at one buck from his, where his television, or his cameras are and everything. Yep. And I designed it three clubs in depth so that if you got out onto the grass in front of his things, you still had 100 yards to the middle. So that there was that target green out there had 100 yards from inside and then from outside. And it's really gratifying to see someone, you know, say, you know, that is really a good idea. And I said, yeah, that is a good idea. I said, no, it, listen, Dustin needs any advice at Firestone, just let me know. I, said, I can really, uh, since Tiger's out of the game now, I said I can really help him out on some of those tricky reads. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I think, Craig, I could talk to you all day. You're just fascinating. What an amazing journey you've been on. I know I cannot wait to play Pine Lakes Country Club. I know you're excited too, Chris and Nate. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you so much just for taking the time out. I know you're busy, so we're so grateful for your time and looking forward to this. And Chris, thanks uh, for coming on the podcast as well. It's always nice to have you. So uh, looking forward to this, Craig. Thank you so much. Well, you know, for you to take the time to do this, I get a little enthusiastic about what I do at times. but. It's, this is really uh, a tribute to what you're doing. A lot of people don't take the time to sit down and find out about really what's going on, and I appreciate that very, very much. And the more that this is done, especially in this room, in this place, and I love the fact that the Founders Group International has taken the time to reinvest in this place because it's going to go a long way. And I appreciate Let's just hope that uh, you make a birdie or two out there your first <laughs> round back. Well, I mean, I'm going to keep it below the hole. It's all good now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Everyone, thanks for listening and tune in to our podcast next week.